We're going to be reading from Hebrews 11 this morning. I'll be reading verses 1 to 3 and then 8 to 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he had considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as innumerable as grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Good morning. Weston Park family. I, as you all are aware, it's been a very rough time for my family. And while one of my daughters said, Mom, you're crazy to keep the commitment to stand before the people and try and deliver a message. But the other daughter sent me a message this morning, and what she said was, Mom, I can't be there. I'm sorry, I've got a commitment downtown, but don't forget to make that Nolte name shine. For those of you that have known me, uh, and have been in the church a long time, and you know my sister San sitting right there. San, wave your hand. My sister, her uh, her name is Nolte. That was my maiden name. Our father used to always say to us every morning when he would wake us up from school, get out there and make that Nolte name shine. And even though it's something fun to reflect back on now, I got to tell you, when we were like six and eight and ten, it was like, whatever, Dad, can I, you know, what is this morning? This was like uh, the time change, right? Could I just sleep a little bit more, Dad? But no, make that Nolte name shine. It's been a very tough week, but this is, a, and I thank my sister San for suggesting this chapter. It's, um, it's kind of been a favorite, I think, of ours for a long time, and I think in part because uh, it talks about the characters of the Old Testament. And it talks about faith, and it's got some awesome uh, verses um, that, that many of us would know by heart. 
So those characters are familiar to us. And um, this week, when uh, I didn't really want to do anything else, what I actually did want to do was study. So I had something to study. And I got to tell you, I learned something new that I want to share. Lucy, you did such a good job reading the scripture. I chose, um, I, I put the breaks where I did because I was following a lectionary. Uh, we don't do that in this church. Pastor Allen reads the word, studies the word, loves the word, devours the word, and he comes up with sermon series. So we have a theme that we follow sort of week after week. But in a lot of churches, what they have is a lectionary, which they use kind of as an architecture for getting to know scripture, for getting to know the Bible, for getting to know God. And uh, so we don't use that here. But as I was reading uh, through the, the first 16 verses of Hebrews, I'm just going to read it for you now, um, because of course, Lucy left it out like I told her to. But it's really awesome. And I wonder if, um, anyway, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the, to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. Now, those characters, with the exception of possibly Enoch, if you've grown up in the church, you probably recognize all those names. But one that even... I managed to stretch seminary from like three years into eight or nine, something like that, because why would you rush through it, right? And the thing that, uh, the question I always had was, what was wrong with Abel, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? What was wrong with the offering that he made to God? Um, raise your hand if you ever had that question when you were reading in Genesis. So in Genesis also, it tends to be um, a book of the Bible that if you are like some of us, who you have an intention to read the Bible through, you know, again this year or whatever, I'm going to pick on her again, my sister San there. She's read, how many times, San? 30? 30 times she's been through the Bible. Uh, I haven't been through 30 times. There are parts I've read more than 30 times, but I haven't read from Genesis through Revelation 30 times. That's just my sister. So you, you start out in Genesis, and Abel and Cain are early on. Abel doesn't get much ink because, after all, he dies quick, and so whatever. But, uh, but I was so grateful that the answer shows up in the text today because why was Abel's gift acceptable to God? Because by faith... 
If you remember in the story when Cain, so Abel gives the firstborn of his flock, the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. So it means he gave the best that he had. What did Cain give? Some, some stuff. He gave some of the first crop. In those days, there was no difference between, like, God had not set out a schedule for them. This is what you should give. This is better than this. If you want, you know, if you want to make me happier, give me this compared to this. There's nothing like that. The only thing that it says is that when Cain had given his, made his offering, and God was not pleased with it, his face fell. He's disappointed. His face fell. And then what happens next? God warns him and says, why did your face fall? What's wrong with you? And he says, well, you know, and he's mad because God didn't accept his offering. And God warns him that sin will be creeping at his door. There's going to be trouble for him if he does not keep on going and give something else the next time, whatever. Anyway, maybe to the whole rest of you, that doesn't mean anything, but to me, I was just really, really happy to have come across uh, the answer to that, because I really did always wonder, why did, uh, why did Abel have to die, and why did he get, um, you know, anyway, wh- why was Cain, why was his offering not great? The book of Hebrews, as I was studying it, um, I kind of assumed, like lots of people do, I mean, it's sort of an assumption that it was he, that Paul was the author, because when in doubt, there are the four Gospels, and then you've got Paul, and you've got James, and Peter, and everything else. Like, in general, it's Paul. When in doubt, it's Paul that wrote it. But in fact, Hebrews was not written by Paul. Scholars don't think because... It is, um, in the original text, it is so smart that, um, not that it's smarter than Paul, but just that there are some things that don't agree with the way Paul wrote. That, too, got me thinking because I was uh, thinking so much about you all. I heard from so many people and really appreciate uh, people reaching out in the compassion, but it's a hard position to be in, to... uh, to be living um, with this big question that won't go away. So uh, I was thinking so much about church family, and, and, uh, and as I was reading the description of the author of Hebrews, it was calling to my mind our dear pastor, who for, I've been here 30 years, I think-ish, something like that, like almost the whole time, I think, that, uh, that he's been preaching here. Pastor Allen is, uh, is a strong, he's a, a strong Bible scholar, but he also has a very compassionate heart with respect to the Bible and to God's word and to us as a faith community. So I was thinking about one of the, one of the things that, um, that the, the commentators and the Bible scholars will say is that in the book of Hebrews, so chapter 11 that we, that we heard today, 
the people are being spoken to, not by Paul, but by someone who is um, encouraging them and teaching them. And he's not telling the whole story for each one. He's giving um, like an imaginative retelling. He's telling it the way you tell someone who really knows someone else. Like if I'm talking to someone here, you know, and we really know each other, you almost like the head nod mean, yeah, yeah, got it, got it, because, and you sort of go on to the next part, because we know each other that well. So the people back then, the people back in the New Testament times when that was written, and the people that would have been reading that, they're hearing it, and what they they are so familiar with those stories that you just have to say the name and, and you know the whole rest of it. Um, there's a joke that I can make. I, Sam, um, Beatrice and Rex Bernard here, right? I don't know if I dare say this. So Beatrice and I, um, I remember when Nathaniel, when her youngest was born, I'm older than Beatrice, but not by like a generation anyway. So along comes Nathaniel, and he's, he's pretty young. Now, the thing about the Apoku family is that they are a very smart bunch of people. For those of you that know any of the Apokus, I actually quit teaching Sunday school one time because of Nathaniel. I would get a, a lesson already, and you know, like you're ready to... You've got this little sea of faces that you're imagining, and you want to engage them and keep their interest and all this. So I'd work real hard and get a lesson together. Nathaniel would be in my class, and I'd, I'd say the first thing, and, you know, I'm, never, I'm not trained as a teacher. always kind of wanted to be, but whatever. I would say something, uh, and it was meant to be like a rhetorical thing to get the kids going, huh, good question. Like maybe they're going to think about it, and it's going to begin a discussion or open us into some kind of a lesson. Nathaniel very dryly but loudly would announce the answer, like, in other words, the end sentence of the lesson. And it'd be like, Nathaniel. I even talked to him about it a couple of times, but... He never really caught on to it. And for him, it was just, he wasn't trying to be difficult. It's just, he knew the answers. So why wouldn't, if I'm asking a question, you know, what is rhetorical to a 10-year-old, right? So, so this is the thing about when, you know, when you know the, when you know the Bible this well. So that's a family that really know the Bible well. And I remember teasing Beatrice that she should have some more kids, because at one point, you know, we want the church size to grow, and I'd go like, come on, just maybe one more, come on. And she's going, no, you. And I'm going, no, 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 you know, I can't. And she's going, yeah, right, Sarah, right? And I'm like, no, no, but like for real, you actually could, and I can't. To be able to have that kind of a playful conversation between friends in a church, because we both know the characters so well, is really just such a gift. It's such a, God's word is just so great in every season. So thinking about really looking at these stories of these characters that have been picked out for a purpose, not telling their whole entire story, again, like where you would find it in other sections of the Bible, but just for the purpose of making a point about this, or a point about faith. By faith, these things happened. It's just, it's, um, it's just so inspiring. Hang on. 
So the funny thing is too, um, or funny, I don't know. Next week, John is speaking, John Mori is speaking from um, Hebrews 12, which is the cloud of witnesses. And honestly, if I had had my pick, I might have first gone with that, but he nabbed it already, so whatever. But Hebrews 11, what it does is it prepares us. It sets the foundation for the cloud of witnesses. Because indeed, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is validating the faith of each one of these people that have lived very different lives so that the reader will hear it and be able to remember and be reminded to be watching for that in their own life for faith because because faith is what we what we kind of know without knowing i was trying to come up with an analogy for um faith and trust and sort of the difference between them because it can get to be a little bit like word games but um i was thinking of um roller coaster i don't know we have daredevils here who likes a roller coaster almost nobody okay 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 so um when the grandkids were younger rob and i took them to wonderland and um you know, Wonderland is not cheap, right? So there we go into Wonderland with the kids, and uh, actually Noah was on that trip too, and, uh, and Pierce was the youngest at that point. So after we had, you know, like turned over a lot of money so that we would all have a day pass to get in there, Aaron's kids went all over, and they were zipping up and down and going around and coming back wet and whatever. Pierce got talked into a single ride that was like a kind of a roller coaster, white-knuckled, sitting right beside Noah, like white-knuckled. He got off that. After that, he discovered putt-putt, which ironically is the one thing at Wonderland that you pay for. But, uh, and the, but the other thing he did was um, he found a map and he loved, he was delighted to stretch out that map. He could hardly see over it. And we walked all over the campus of Wonderland while he found what he could see on the map when he found it like in parts of the park. He had so much fun doing that. It was just such a great thing. But when I, um, when I was trying to come up with the analogy and thinking of roller coasters, Felicity said, yeah, my daughter Felicity had been to Wonderland recently. And she said she went on a roller coaster, but she said it taught her um, <laughs> in terms of faith and trust, the difference between them. Because, you know, faith might be that you see people get on and off. So, oh, it must be safe, right? The trust comes in do you board that train or not? And she was saying she did get on, but it was making her think. She started to really look at the people that were keeping it like up to snuff in terms of turning the screws where they needed to and listening for any sounds that, you know, this one might need a little help over here or there. So faith and trust. We have, we're, we're given faith, it's a gift, but the trust is what comes to us over time when we when we act, when we step out on that, it's a, a kind of a patient process. One of the things that I was thinking about with the, with the cloud of witnesses, I love that. I just love that. How many times um, over the years when there's been um, a, a death, a funeral or something, and there'll be, I remember um, Bob Dick when his mother died and, and he said, uh, that the cloud just got a little thicker. 
And uh, it's just, it's such a beautiful thought. We, Alan mentioned last week when he was talking about Anne Bolander, who some of you will remember, Dave's mother and the grandmother of Laura and Jennifer. So when, when we remember these people who were in our midst and they are no longer in our midst, they're, they're still kind of there. It's a cloud of witnesses, right? They're still kind of there. And it's important that we, that we keep that in mind. So here, are these, so here are these characters that have been verified as people of a strong faith. But then the, cl- the cloud of witnesses that they, are, that they become in the next chapter, they become an encouragement to all of us. They become an encouragement to, to keep on keeping on, to, to, uh, to stay strong in the faith and all things like that. I thought of something as I was reading that, though, like um, I know that the analogy is used. Timothy talks about it, or, or Paul talks to Timothy about it, about the race, running the race. And, uh, and I have to say that I feel much more comfortable with a journey than a race. I think that uh, in the culture that we're living in, it's a lot easier to get through stuff fast. Tick it off like it's done, it's done, it's done, it's done. And really what's important is that we digest and that we process. All of these characters characters that are listed in Hebrews 11 particularly think about Abraham think about the promise that he's going to have that he's going to have children and he and his wife who are well beyond childbearing ages he's promised by God that his descendants will will be like the stars in the heavens and like the the sands on the on the uh, the seashore and yet that is, not really, um, that is not really anything that he lives, but he, but he lived and he died with that same faith because he trusted God and he knew it was coming. And so is the same for us. We must, we must trust the promises. We must trust the places that God calls us to. We must trust when God gives us an idea. We must trust when God gives us an urge to call someone or to do something. It's so very important. My dad's, um, aside from annoying us with his, make that Nolte name shine, the other thing he would do that was really annoying was it was impossible to take a walk with my dad without talking to everyone who passed. He wouldn't necessarily talk to everyone, but he would make eye contact, nod his head. He might say something to every person who passed. And you know, it's something to me at this age, and it's a beautiful thing. And ironically, of course, everyone in my family, like my siblings, we all do it, always talking to strangers. But you know, when I was like, again, like 12, 13, 14, it's like, Dad, do you have to talk to everyone? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of his answer because he just did not believe in leaving anyone a stranger. Because we never know when we've entertained angels. We never know who we meet and what we say and the influence we're going to have on each other's lives. My dad's favorite, um, or one of his favorite, I think, translations was J.B. Phillips. 
verses 1 to 3 reads like this. Now, faith means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. It was this kind of faith that won their reputation for the saints of old. And it is, after all, only by faith that our minds accept the fact that the whole scheme and space was created by God's command, that the world which we can see has come into being through principles which are invisible. Faith, we can't see it, but it's so real. It's what's in our lives. It's why we do what we do. We don't always call it faith, but the choices that we make in our life, everybody has faith in something, whether or not you're naming it or not. Um, Noah, his story kind of touches me in that, um, just, just picture for a sec, because of course it's the short version, and, and even in the Old Testament version, like it doesn't go into that much detail, other than that he spends a long time making an ark, and then he, um, you know, he fills it full of two by two, the animals and his family, and then eventually it does rain. But now picture that some hundred odd years that he's building the ark. Have you ever worked on something or been, um, been busy with a project and the people walk by you or people see you and say like, like uh, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know, you say, I'm building an ark because the Lord told me it's going to rain and it's going to... Now, obviously, that's not the thing that we're doing, building an ark. But I would take a pretty safe guess, I think, that there would be at least a handful of people in this room that have been involved in something at some point in their lives where people looked on and whether they said it or not, you can sometimes read it in their eyes. They think you're crazy. They think that what you're doing doesn't make any sense, that you're wasting your time. Why would you bother? All of that kind of stuff, right? But Noah just kept going. He built the ark. He, say, he ends up saving his family. He ends up saving the sampling of creatures so that after the rains come, after all the time they spend in the ark, and then the water recedes, he and his family step back out onto dry land. So imagine for Noah, it's, it's great that he ended up saving his family, uh, a dream and a project that stayed with him for decades and decades and decades. But the end of his life, he's back on dry land with just his family. Like the loneliness of that. Think of how lonely, how lonely some of us were in the pandemic. In the beginning when we were, when we were um, staying at home and we were being very careful not to go out and not to, and you know, for good reason, like we had to do that. But we got to ache, ache for the sight of one another. Think about the excitement when we first came back into this church together and we would see other people. I remember, you know, so many times running up and then sort of catching myself at the last minute because knowing it's not really right to hug, but being so excited to see people again. And here's Noah, the man of faith, 
who spends his life, life building an ark where people probably laughed at him while he was doing that, and he saved his family. And that's great, but that was the extent of it. It isn't like at the end he had a post-pandemic party and people came out and he got to do fun stuff. No. No, he was just faithful to what God called him to. And then that was kind of it. Like, that's... It's, it's, uh, it's at once inspiring, but, but also not tragic exactly, but it's just it's kind of just imagining what that's like for those people that, that went through. And they became heroes. They became heroes of the faith, and they end up in this chapter. But it wasn't like their entire life was wonderful. It wasn't like they, they always had the joy. And, and for many of them, they, they got a glimpse of the promise that was going to come true for them. But they didn't necessarily experience it in its totality. I um, I I was struck when Lucy was praying before for the the homeless problem that we have in the city of Toronto. The last election was basically based on the fact that housing is just such an issue in Toronto. Um, as as you know. Um, I, our phone has not stopped ringing all week. Uh, one of the people that I talked to was a very good friend of mine. We've been friends since the first day of high school in grade nine. We don't see each other very much, but, but talk about a good friend where when you know somebody for 50 plus years, it means that you can not talk for five years and then talk again and you have to fill in almost no detail because basically you know each other's stories so well. There's, a, there's such a gift in that. So my friend Donna called me and, uh, and of course was very sorry and sad to hear the news and so we went through that part a little bit but you know, I, I was anxious all week to hear from other people how is their life going because it's tiresome to just be in the skin that is crying all the time. So I want to know about other people. So I'm asking Donna, what's new for you? And she's saying, oh, this, this great thing happened this week. Now, Donna would identify herself, I would say, as a Christian compared to no faith at all. But she's not someone who probably has an active membership anywhere. But, but like many people, particularly from the older generations, she grew up in the church. So this is what she tells me. <clears throat> um, I know that Donna was married um, once when she was just out of university. It didn't last very long. She never remarried, and she has no kids. But she's a very smart woman, and uh, she has a business in media analysis. She started the business with her sister, back in the 90s, I'd say, and they, um, she bought a house at that point in the Beaches Triangle, if you know where that is, at the bottom of Woodbine. So she owns the house now, um, but like self-employed people, she doesn't have a pension, so though she's at the age when she dreams about pension and she can spell retirement, you know, but like it's not really sort of in her immediate future. She's still working some. 
So um, one of the things, so she's in a house, it's a semi, it's not very big, but it's three stories. And because it's right by where the old Woodbine racetrack was, down at the bottom of um, Woodbine there, before it got moved out west, uh, she has a basement apartment that um, usually it's been like family or friends or something that would stay down there. But I guess like back in the day, and actually when she first got the house, her mom was four foot nothing, and I'm not kidding. Her mom was like maybe one of the shortest people I ever met. So her mom lived in the basement for a while. And where the rest of us might be doing this as we go through the basement, her mom would just like sail through like nothing because it was a place that got completely finished for jockeys. Traditionally, jockeys were short. So it used to get rented out for that. Not in her time, but back in the day. Anyway, she was thinking about what she was going to do because she can't retire yet, and she decided she would um, get the basement finally, like really refinished, like drop the floor down. And um, so she did that, and then along comes the pandemic. So ugh. that affected both like the, um, the work getting done, like the materials, but also just the process of how do you rent in the pandemic. So she was very excited that things loosening up. She has a neighbor who's in real estate and helped her set something up where they would, um, where you do everything kind of online and all she has to do is occasionally answer the door if somebody wants to know our utilities included, that kind of thing. But other than that, um, it hasn't affect, you know, they, it just all happens without her. So she can just stay in her house and that's it. The agents take care of stuff. And then I said, oh, that's really cool. She said, yeah, I'm so excited. She said, listen, what happened? So I think that, I think it only went on the market like maybe uh, the beginning of the week or last weekend, something like that. She had already had 20 people passing through. And she said, this guy comes um, with a young woman and they go downstairs and they wave and they don't have any questions. So I just kind of wave as they exit the driveway and that was it she said came back a few hours later and uh he came back on his own and he said so my my client really likes your place and she's wondering if you would take a hundred dollars less well she said i was dumbfounded because she didn't know that much about it but she's kind of thinking with a housing crisis she would never have expected that kind of thing she was more bracing herself for if a couple people got to wanting to like outbid each other in like a bidding war or something right but like a hundred dollars less so she said i would she said you know i i'm standing on the porch and i'm kind of dumbfounded so then the man starts to say the man starts to say that um that the woman was uh, a refugee from afghanistan and she and her friend were looking for somewhere to stay. And they only had, uh, and went through like a little bit of the finances. But for, for my friend, instantly she went into a different gear. And she's going, whoa. Like right away, reverence for that woman who made it through what she did to get to the safety of this country. And uh, so, I mean, in her head, she's already yeah, the woman's going to move in here. But, you know, out of um, respect for the people that had confirmed appointments, she wasn't going to say that. But then as she's having conversations further, it's like, you know, talking about furniture and do they need, you know, how about the beds? And 
And, and the woman says she has no furniture. And so my friend Donna, like now she's moved into a gear of, she's got a couple floors of where lots of people used to live with her who worked for her, who were down on their luck or whatever. And so she, she's figuring out how she can fill the apartment with her own furniture and give the woman, you know, the rent that she needs. And, and by the way, check out where are the food banks close by and, and how is it that she, can, that she can come to the aid of this woman. So there's, so there's Donna's response to, you know, something knocks at her door. And instead of, when she told her, oh, yeah, this is the bad part, she tells her sister who works with her and another woman that, that she's known for a long time that she works with. And, and, uh, and she said, you know, so, because she's excited. She's excited to be able to give an opportunity to these people. And, and her sister says, are you nuts? And Donna says, like, no, what are you talking about? And they're saying to her, this is your retirement. This is how you're going to be able to retire. And I guess that was the plan. But to my friend, who doesn't attend a church, but clearly was so formed by the education that she got as a little girl from Sunday school, that there was just no question in her mind that the right... She said... Like, Bonnie, you have to help people when you can. <laughs> yeah, of course you do have to help people when you can. But, uh, but you know, there are, there are things that can get in their way, of, in our way of seeing that sometimes. And uh, I just saw that as such a clear moment of faith in a woman who would never pretend, like she would never lead with, oh, by the way, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but, but clearly the, the principles of Sunday school um, have stayed with her throughout her life. We will be celebrating the Lord's table soon. And while I, I promise you I had not made... Uh, this was not a plan to like honestly you can read through this was not a plan to make a pitch but think about for each one of you who are here think about in your own life the father and the mothers of faith that you have everybody here has at least one person who said something to them who did something for them who acted in such a way that they saw something that made a difference. We all have that. And here is, here is the miracle of God's plan. Here is the miracle of God's plan of salvation. We, we are that to each other in ways that we often do not see, very often we do not see. One last picking on my sister. She was in a grocery store, no frills, one time, and um, this guy, Philip, who used to come to Frontlines, um, I, the way I recall, um, he, he's in front of her in the short line. You know how the lines, people never respect that. Eight items and under, and somebody's got a big old cart with like a hundred things, but whatever. So she's 
Philip is in a line ahead of her, but he runs off to get a couple more things. He comes back, like, kind of, and he's big enough that he can, like, get anybody out of the way. He gets back in front of her to take his place in the line. He does a double take when he sees her, and he says, oh, I remember you from front lines. And then, and then he turns to the cashier and says, I'm paying for her stuff, too. Now, you know, like, that's such a small thing, but it's really not a small thing. We make, we make impressions on each other. I have time for one more quick story. The primos aren't here. Help me. Anybody see the primos? Justin's not here. Um, so there was, a, um, there was a young man who used to come to the church, and now he comes again, but he used to come when he was a young guy. He would... Uh, he was a bit of a rascal, let's just say. And uh, one time in his rascaliness in the winter, he took, I don't know, a rock or something and put it in a snowball. And he's on the front steps of the church and he's throwing it at cars that are going by. Well, you know, lots of cars would just keep on driving, but a certain car didn't. A certain car pulls over to maybe let this guy know that that's not really what you're supposed to do. So the guy pulls over, and now um, our friend, who's a little frisky, you know, realizes, uh-oh, he's in a bit of trouble, so he runs back into the church. And then we have an older gentleman who you would, he's the last person in the world you would ever expect this of. He stands in front of our, our little rebel, our little snowball-throwing rebel. He stands between him and the guy that's coming in, like, big, up the steps, like he's going to teach a lesson. And don't you know, kind of almost like David and Goliath, the guy, the big guy, turns around, leaves the church, and then drives away. When I, I had remembered seeing that, but this would be going back like 20 years, when I checked with the gentleman to say, am I remembering that right? Is that really what happened? He says, yes, that is what happened. And I said, like, like, why? What did you... And he said, certainly this one needs to learn a lesson, but that man is not the one to teach him the lesson. So he stood in front of and protected. Each, and when I checked with, um, with the one who used to throw snowballs, he remembered it very well, too. We all have these places where we have made a difference. We all have people that have made a difference to us. Testimony is, testimony is one part of it, when we tell our faith story, but that is from a personal perspective, and it's from a unique personal perspective. Uh, I had the privilege of visiting Eleanor this past week with Rebecca. Rebecca was talking to Eleanor, and she had a chance to see in person Eleanor, Eleanor Wave. Most people know, no, no, higher. Yeah, yeah. Eleanor has... Um, her apartment walls are covered in those old-fashioned, almost like polaroid size pictures, and others too, but literally hundreds and hundreds of pictures. In fact, Darcy, there's one of you. I didn't remember that you and Joel and Eleanor were baptized on the same day. Forgotten all about that, but there it is on Eleanor's wall. Eleanor is... Um, she has lots of stories to share about the people that she knows. And when we have the chance uh, 
to hear one another's stories. And also, I would say to hear about each other, because that's the thing about this Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews, when he's, when he's doing this storytelling of Noah and of Abraham, and he's going through those characters. It's not the way they would describe themselves, but his vantage point is different. Adding on to that, we see things in each other. Like, Darlene, I see something in you that you don't see in yourself, just like you probably see things in me that, are, that I don't see. We, have, we, have, we all have gifts, and God, in this lifetime, we have not finished unwrapping those gifts. And we, as a community, one of the things that we do when we tell stories and share stories is that we unwrap that gift of who we are. It is such a treasure to find out that something we did, you know, sort of by accident or barely noticed or completely unaware of, that made a difference to somebody else. Think how hard we work sometimes to make things work out. Me and Nathaniel's Sunday school teacher, working so hard to be the Sunday school teacher that can, you know, that could teach other Sunday school teachers first to do this and then this and then this and fall flat on my face because Nathaniel knew the Bible as well as I did. Like, that's pretty humbling. So when it comes time, and we're going to be celebrating the meal, which commemorates the life of the one who is the answer to all of these promises all along. He is, he is it. We don't have to wait to hear about him we know about him. We have experience of him. And I would encourage you to think about what can you do. Do you want to teach? Think about the little ones. There's, there's nothing more precious than little ones. I guess I, I gave it a bad rap because I told you about Nathaniel. But most kids aren't like Nathaniel, trust me, because I did go back and teach later. Anyway. Thank you for your prayers. I literally wouldn't be standing here without them. And uh, God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.